Hi, this is Paula Poundstone, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Quick Impressions is a full-service commercial printer with pricing that competes with online wholesalers. The difference is their customer service. From business cards, envelopes, brochures, to mailers, presentation folders, DVD and CD packaging, carton signs to calendars, and I've used them for just about all of those things myself, including the galleys and bookmarks and signature plates for my own book, and custom-designed tissue boxes and notepads and labels for women who write. They've done it all. Um, and I ain't easy to please, as you well know, DJ. And they always blow me away. The quality of their work is stellar, and they're the nicest people ever. That's Quick Impressions. Hold the C. Quick. Q-U-I-K. Ask for Rick, but that does have a C. And then tell them that Vicky sent you, which also has a C. And they will love you up. You can find them at quickimpressions.com for all your printing needs. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, John. Hey, Wheezy. How are you guys tonight? Hello. We're good. Woohoo! Oh, you, uh, uh, okay. That's the where. That's the, the um, plural where. Okay. Well, he is smiling, so <laughs> I can't speak on his behalf based on what his face is telling me. And you've been hanging out with him for a few minutes, so it's good. I, I, I get that you have that assumption. That's fine. John, would you, you fine? would you like to speak for you and Louise now? I think we're good. Okay. Are, you, are you good, Louise? I'm excellent. First of all, I want to settle the whole Wheezy Louise thing right off the top here. <laughs> um, Louise Palanker. See how good I did that? I yes, put the ER really at the end. I didn't say it. Louise Palenka, Palenka. as yeah. is my, my Bronx girl want, want to do. But Louise Palenka, um, my, our producer, um, goes by the name Wheezy to – she has her own podcast, Journals Out Loud, where she deals with teenagers. And also many people in the world know her as Wheezy, but I've always called her Louise. But somehow I have – a partial one foot in the wheezy door. But then when I started talking to John, he said, you're straight up Louise for him. I'm not so, sure why. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going back to Louise. Well, sometimes I feel silly calling you wheezy because I think that, oh, do I, have I earned the calling you wheezy thing? Oh, you know? absolutely. <laughs> so, so I might sometimes call you wheezy and I might sometimes. Well, I can tell you the history of how I earned that nickname. Okay, go ahead. Give it to us. I, I, my name is Louise. Yes. I was a page on the Jeffersons. Wow. So there's no way you walk out of there <laughs> without the nickname Wheezy. I love that. Hey, did you? Of course, you told Norman Lear that when he came to Women Who Write. 
I don't know that I did. Norman <gasps> Lear scares me. He's so oh, important and wonderful. No, but he was so accessible that day. Yes, but all the women were mobbing. They him. were mobbing. I was one of those he women. Was bum rushed. <laughs> I, was, I was one. And and Mike Royce uh, from the current One Day at a Time, um, who is going to be our guest on this show very soon, is also going to do uh, Women Who Write in February, February twenty eighth. As long as One Day at a Time is back in production, so we have to pray that they go back in pro- into production March first. I am a brand new Mike Royce fangirl. Oh, oh God. Mike Royce, also the showrunner on Everybody Loves Raymond, on Men of a Certain Age. Um, he is extraordinary. He's, he's amazing. Um, funny, funny man. Okay, let's get to the good stuff because we've got a guest in the studio today. And calling him a guest seems wrong. But Justin Levins is here. Justin. Justin. The original. Our original sound engineer. Hi, Justin. Hi. Justin, for those of you who are new to The Road Taken, is an Emmy-winning sound engineer for the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways. Wow. And he's like 13 years old. No. <laughs> he's, he was just 30, right? You were just 30? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. 30. But come on. He's 30, has an Emmy Award on his mantle. Come on! Justin's the best. And so we've missed Justin terribly, but he's been wonderful and uh, jumped in and helped us when we've needed it. And uh, very happy to have you in the studio today. And I hope you're going to come back and visit us more. Yeah, happy to be back and visit. Excellent. So Justin's been working on a movie. He's got a TV show coming. He's a hot shot. What's he doing on a podcast? Well, anyway. Um, okay, so so what I want to talk about tonight. So, so yesterday... Um, okay, so today is Wednesday, February 1st. So when this airs, it'll be Feb- whatever next Tuesday is. The I don't know what that is, the 6th or something. Um, this will be old news. Sort of old. It, it'll be old to me. It'll be new to you guys out there in listening land, I hope. But yesterday, Leonard Malton was um, our guest at Women Who Write, which is wow. my literary salon um, that is a live event that we also go live on Facebook now. We started that a few months ago. And Lydia Cornell from um, uh, who's, oh, God, uh, Too Close for Comfort. She uh, was Ted Knight's. Um, and she won um, um, a People's Choice Award and was up for an AFI Award. She's fabulous, wonderful, very funny woman, lovely, beautiful. Anyway, um, Leonard Malton's wife is his manager. And I've known them socially from Phil Rosenthal's Movie Nights, which is fabulous. But I have, I've had to go through Alice Malton to get to, to book Leonard. And it's taken a couple years. Look, all of you know, you've been with me for years. It takes time to get these people to say yes to me, and I am doing a lot of begging and pleading. It's very sad to watch, but a lot of begging and pleading goes on. So they, they, they said yes to me. Alice said yes, and I got, after eight and a half years, my first rider to the, to the agreement um, to please have Perrier, chamomile <gasps> tea, and Are good coffee. You and, and I was like, oh, my God. He's a prima donna. No, he, no. And the thing is, he's so not. He's, he's such a lovely, lovely man. They're a lovely, lovely couple. Well, but he what must it, no, have chamomile. No, but what it is. Or he's a beast. Well, but what it is, is that it's his wife looking out for him. Oh. I, rea- I didn't realize yeah, good that. good cop, bad cop, right. Well, we I it. didn't realize it until, like, I kind of, like, busted Leonard as soon as they walked I in the door yeah. and he said and I said well what about M&M's and he goes yeah leave out the green ones what band was that that had that in the ride I don't know that... but Norman Lear didn't need chamomile <laughs> no no but the thing is I'm not bashing them at all because this leads into what I want to talk about now 
there is so much love between them. It was the most adorable thing. Um, we had a band called The Cages, and it was a father and son, and they were fantastic. They have a new EP dropping. They're going to be on The Tonight Show. They're wonderful. And while they were singing, Alice and Leonard were, were making hold, out. They were holding hands, and they were snuggling. Oh and it God. was like this. They've been married for like 42 years. It was like the sweetest thing ever. And that's when I realized that she was just looking out for him. Mm-hmm. And you I go mean, ahead and believe that. Yeah. I mean, I managed my husband's career back in the day. I never did a ride or two. Well, I I mean, but I did. I did hardline his contracts. I always got him more than his agents did. I always was in there. But anyway, it was a very sweet thing. and And it brings me to love, which was kind of the topic of the day yesterday. And I, I haven't read at Women Who Write in a long time because I'm presenting all this amazing talent. I used to read a chapter of my book, Don't Jump, every single month. That was the reason I started it, mm-hmm. was to workshop my book into a play, which I still haven't done. But I did work it, shop it into a published book. And over the course of four or five years, I read like almost 300 pages of it. Of the No, whatever. I read a lot of it. Yeah. It's only, I don't know, two, something. Anyway, so... Anyway, I decided I wanted to read yesterday because I wanted I have a chapter about my activism in that book when I was 12 in oh, 1968 yes. and I thought this is really relevant to what's going on today. So first we talked about what's going on in the world and how how upsetting it is and that Carrie Fisher said take your pain and make art. And I was like, well that's what we do. That's what we do at women who write. That's what I do when I write my book. That's what we do when we sit at these podcast right we make art well this might be a lower form of art depending on whatever no it's not it's it's high art it's wonderful it's we are high art it's the art of conversation it's the art thank you it's the art of conversation somebody i got one of the nicest comments um uh somebody oh god my brain is so slow but somebody said to me that what they lo- oh will durst our guest from from last week said that what he loved most about this was that it was a conversation and it wasn't an interview it was a conversation so so yay that that oh, that's what we strive that for is a compliment but yeah. yeah so anyway so i'm i'm all over the place but what i'm trying to get to is that i wanted to read this little this little passage from my book about my activism which also was coupled with my first love and and my cherry breaking and all of that and what? so and it was during the time of free love but it was we were protesting against the war and i was saying how activism was different then because we had this juxtaposition of the war in vietnam but there was this free love and peace movement and so there was so much love in the world while there was all this war and so we were demonstrating but we were also smoking pot and 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 having sex and all this doing lsd and there was all this beautiful stuff you know wait 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 you're 12 well, by the time, okay, so I had to qualify Where's that. Where's your mother? Re- I had to, so we talked about that too. The part of the chapter, I was actually just shy of 15. And yeah, I did start early with all of that stuff. And I said, if my daughter did any of that, I would have killed her. But it was different times then. And so I didn't, I was afraid to read my little chapter because Leonard had to make a plane. And there was pressure with time, but I really wanted to read this very applicable to the day pages. And 
I was very torn. So I read it, but I read it really fast. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was reading really fast. But the point came across. But I was saying how times are different now, how we have this this need for activism, but I'm not feeling the love, right? Where Where's that free love? Where is that, 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 that contradiction of the good stuff Everything has just well, felt really crazy but, and scary. But we both marched, right? You marched did, in L.A. and I marched yes. in D.C. Didn't you feel it there? I did feel it there, but I want to feel it. But back then in those days... She's I talking about sex. Well, I, oh. I, well, I, <laughs> in, in large part, John, I am. Well, so that get, well I'm talking about love. So I which, was so crushed in these crowds that I may be pregnant. <laughs> well, okay, so, so what I came to find yesterday, which was beautiful, in that in the making of the art... I also found the love because there was there was Leonard and Alice Making hugging out. and being lovely. Sure. Today, I got a note. No, last night I got a note from one of the women who cr there were a lot of men in the house yesterday, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but three of them were guys I met on Tinder, and there would have been a fourth, but he got sick. And anyway, but <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But yeah, and and one of the women was crushing on one of the guys that I met through. It's one way to fill the seats, right? One of the women was crushing on one of the guys that um, I had met on Tinder that we didn't click that way, but we're friends. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I was able to connect them. Love connection happened. And a guy that I met for the very first time came uh, yesterday, and it was really lovely. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of r romance and um, all, loving kind of feelings going on and aside from the march it was really the only time and there was a lot of euphoria in the room you know at, the, at women who write there's a lot of love in that room anyway and there's a lot of community and connection yes. and hugging and yes. laughter and singing along and as a matter of fact when the whole thing was over uh, Clayton Cage started to strum um, uh, a Cat Stevens song I can't even remember what which one it was Wild World, maybe, and everybody started to. Everyone was just impromptu, standing around singing with him, and it was just like a beautiful moment. So, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the only thing that's keeping me sane through this time in history is finding the love and the connection and the art and making sure that that is the anecdote to this insan this daily assault of insanity to me is us connect us staying connected and making our art and making love and having a lot of sex i'm not up to that yet i'm looking forward to it um, but i think that's the anecdote and seeking that as you walk through your day and, and yes, looking, exactly, looking for the places where that, and the other anecdote is binging shows on Netflix. Okay. Uh, so, so my latest binge, Harry and I stayed up the entire night, Thursday night, till 7.30 Friday morning watching the OA. And I'm not going to get into a whole big thing. I will just say that I want to take the writers and the director and I want to strangle them for that ending. But I, I really enjoyed the show. But And then I watched The Whole Crown. I watched The Crown from start to finish. Enjoyed that very much. I am now watching The Night Of. Oh, my God. HBO Go. Uh, well, yes. So I have to say that when I'm binging a show, I completely forget what's going on with that person. That 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 person. And it's it's going to save my life because... I've been spending so many hours 
on the computer being obsessed with this crazy shit that I lost sight of myself. And as we were saying with, with Mo Gaffney last week, uh, you know, I said something about the freshman 15. She goes, yeah, it's the Trump 20. You know, for me, it's the fuckhead eight. And I finally realized that I'm not punishing him by eating and gaining weight. He's not the one. No, I'm, so I have to stop that. I have to stop that. And I have to stop a lot of things like that incessant watching. Like, are you spending a lot of time, John, looking, looking at what's going on? I try to like space it out. Cause if you wake up, and do that the first thing it you can it can taint yeah. your whole day and you can't get you can't pry yourself away and right? it will yeah wheezy are you getting better about like not doing so much of that what are you doing well i i record rachel and lawrence those okay. are my those are my two besties mm -hmm. and uh and so i can kind of like do that at night mm -hmm. and uh and kind of I might have it on in the background. I kind of admit to that. Mm. And if it looks like it says breaking news, I may put the sound on. But you can't really get anything done if you're just... And most of what happens can be sort of condensed in a few sentences at the end of the day. And that I like that Rachel and Lawrence are sufficiently outraged for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's helpful. That, that's very good advice. I don't know if I can follow it because first thing in the morning, um, I get on the... Justin, how about you? Are you, are you like getting in there with this stuff or... It's very hard to get away from, so uh, it's kind of hard to look away every day because it's there every day right in front of you. So and and every, it's... every website, every TV news story, it, it's, it's just there constantly. Right. It is, and, it, and it's like, and it's once you start, it's like that car accident. You can't look away because it's just, okay, he did what? Well, what? and the other thing too, like Justin said, like I go on Facebook and I'm genuinely interested in seeing what my friends are doing. Mm -hmm. But for the last few months, no. it seems like nothing but retweeting and reposting. Mm -hmm. And it's it just becomes like this onslaught of what's going on. And it's important to know. But sometimes, like what you were talking about with connections, like I, I want to know what my friends are actually up to and what they're doing and what, they're right. helping, what their kids are doing this week. And it's hard to kind of wade through all of the you know that's a really good point but i'm finding at the same time that in the middle of him doing something outrageously awful that if somebody says i'm appearing it bop bop on bop bop i'm like what the fuck are you t who cares you know it's like i get mad at people for yeah. like promoting shit in the middle of this crisis that it's we're like in anything else sort of feels like the band playing on the titanic <laughs> And so it's hard, John, because we all want to just say, oh, well, I, we need to know that we're okay before you promote your event. Like, are we all going to die first? And, you know, and that's the thing is that I have shit to promote, like I'm promoting this show. But most of the time on this show for the last few weeks, months, we've only been we've been mostly talking about politics. Right. And even at Women Who Write, we've been talking a lot about it. So I'm encouraging people to become a part of our conversation. And I don't feel guilty about that because we have been talking about yeah, because it. Because it's the transition was just god awful. And then he was inaugurated and it got worse. Yeah. So and it <laughs> it's just hard to look away. It gets worse by yeah. the minute. I mean it's every day there's a new atrocity and it's it's um which which leads me to tonight's guest. Who um, I love. Okay, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I've been trying to get Paula Poundstone to do Women Who Write for eight for eight years. I have been chasing this woman because I see her socially at Phil Rosenthal's movie nights. And, um, and even before that, I started hitting her up, I think, on Twitter even before I had met her. I don't know. But anyway, I've been – and she's very busy. She's always on the road. She does a lot of stand-up. She's doing appearances all over the place. 
Do you know that Paula Poundstone was the first woman to host the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Wow. And who was president? Um, who was president then? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm not even sure who was president then. I have to ask her. Probably Clinton. I'm going to think that it's Clinton. Yeah. Um, I can't picture George W. Bush. Absolutely. <laughs> it has to be Clinton. It has to be Clinton. Um, and since Paula's did it, others have come afterwards, yes. but she was the first. She was the first to do a lot of things. Let me, let me run through some of the stuff Paula's done. Okay. Um, she's a regular panelist on NPR's number one show, The Screwball. You wanted me to call you my screwball sidekick, didn't you? What were we talking about that at my one point? Wacky sidekick? My wacky sidekick? I'm not sure what title I was requesting. Well, Paula is part of the the Screwball Weekly News Quiz Show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where she holds the record for game losses. I love Paula. Oh, that's distinctive, yeah. <laughs> the others cheat, she says. I bet they do. You wouldn't think NPR would put up with that. <laughs> God, I love Paula. you got to read her website. It's just fabulous. No, that show is great. Um, Paula's voiced the character for, Forgetter Paula in Disney Pixar's Academy Award-winning animated feature film Inside Out. In June, her first double live CD, North by Northwest, Paula Poundstone Live, debuted at number one on both Amazon's hot new releases, nonfiction, and comedy CD lists. Because she's the funniest. She Who's is. funnier than Paula? There's no one funnier Nobody than is. Paula. Paula is also an author. Her second book, I'm holding it up. For, for those of you, I'm holding it up for her, for Louise, and for Justin, and for John. But those of you at home, what it's called is The Totally unscientific study of the search for human happiness and I got an advanced copy Ooh. and I have to tell you I had to st stop binge watching television to read and it is so it is laugh out loud crazy crazy funny another thing we need at this time it's going to drop in May and there will be no way Paul is not coming to do women who write in May after there's we're, we're going to get her I'm, absolutely we're going to get her yeah. um Anyway, um, Paula, an avid reader, is such a staunch supporter of the nation's libraries that in 2006, the American Library Association invited her to become the national spokesperson for the United um, um, of, of United for Libraries, a post that she holds till this day. Isn't that cool? I mean, who goes to the library? We were just talking about this yesterday. Who goes to the library more? It's fabulous that libraries still happen. I have books that are still overdue. <laughs> So I don't go. I run past it. <laughs> there you go. Um, Paula also appeared uh, this year on the hit television series Major Crimes, and she's also done commentaries recently for CBS Sunday Morning. Yes, in 1992. Yes, it was Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, Paula became the first woman to share the stage with the president and host the White House Correspondents' Dinner, a role not until then offered to a woman in its 72-year wow. history. Hello. Huh. That same year, her HBO special, Cats, Cops, and Stuff, won the Cable Ace Award for Best Stand-Up Comedy Special, the first woman to ever receive that award. Another first. Her second special for HBO, Paula Poundstone Goes to Harvard, was the first time the elite university allowed their name to be used in the title of a television show. She's got so many firsts, this Paula. Paula is included in Comedy Central's list of 100 greatest stand-up comics of all time and won an American Comedy Award for Best Female Stand-Up Comic.
She has guested on all the late night talk shows. We've seen her on everything, right? Mm -hmm. Several television specials and Garrison Keillor's A Prairie Home Companion. Still, Paula considers her greatest achievement being the mom of her three children. She lives in Santa Monica, where she also has two dogs, 14 cats, and one ant left from her ant farm. <laughs> so, Louise, yeah. Justin, John, ladies and gentlemen at home, please help me welcome. Paula, hi. <laughs> welcome to The Road Taken. I'm so happy you're here, Paula Poundstone. I love you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Paula, I want to introduce you to uh, my producer, Louise Palanker. And, um, Hello, Paula. It's a pleasure hey, to meet you. I'm a big fan. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, sound engineer, John Maddox. Hi, Paula. Hey, John. And we've also got in the studio Justin Levins, who is our original uh, sound engineer. Justin, uh, Paula, he's going to say hi. Hi, Paula. Hey, Justin. Do you, the original sound engineer? He, he so was, what, what, what? For, 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 <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> he was he it's to greener pastures, Justin. <laughs> he did. He left us because Justin is a how, how he, he's thirty years old and he won a fucking Emmy award already. He um did you ever did you ever see the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways on HBO? Are you into that kind of stuff at all? Um, no, no, well, no, anyway, I'm not familiar. Yeah, it, it it was a great show that they did this. They went from city to city and they recorded the they did the history of the music in each city. And Justin was a sound engineer, and he already won an Emmy award. This little yeah, that's th great. Yeah, he's amazing. But but anyway, we're going to talk about you. And I ha I I I was just telling these guys that um, I was blessed to be sent by you an advanced copy of your book, Paul. I got to tell you, the totally unscientific study of the search for human happiness is making me very happy. And very oh, that's nice to hear. I got to tell you, I was laughing so hard out loud that my son came into my room to figure out what the hell was wrong with me. Because I haven't laughed in like two months. So it was really good. If, if my son hears me being happy, he comes in and says, don't be. There's like a rule in our house. Oh my. He'll hear me like I take, I take tap dance lessons. And he'll hear me tapping. He'll go, what are you doing? And I go, honey, I'm tapping. Well, don't. Oh, 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 okay. I s anything that makes me happy. I think he has some sort of, um, what do you call it? Like there's some sort of electrodes connected <laughs> to me, and he has a screen in his room so that he can see if I'm happy and then quickly intervene. How old is your son, Paula? He's 18. Okay. He's 18. He's had some very successful interventions. <laughs> I have an 18-year-old daughter who is in the eye-rolling stage. Uh -huh. If ever I do any, and, and everything I do embarrasses her. If I write a comment on her Facebook wall, I get a, I get a text like an hour later telling me to please don't do it. I really love you, Mom, but please, could you just stay off my... You know, everything I do embarrasses them, right? Are you? Yeah, my daughter, my middle daughter, Allison, actually um, was the captain of the eye-rolling team <laughs> in uh, middle school. Which we're really, really proud of. It's, you know, it's the sort of thing, you know, I don't write a holiday letter because I find them obnoxious. Yeah. But if I did, I, you know, that's the sort of thing I would have said. You know, the holiday letter. Which, that's what Facebook is. Facebook is one long goddamn holiday letter. That's why I don't really like it. You know, it, and they find it makes people unhappy. Are you aware of that? It, it causes depression. Because people put up, like, you know, their happiest moments. Yes. And other people look at it and they go, oh, gee, 
You know, I never had anything like that. You know, people putting up happy pictures of their family, these, like, poetic things about when it's their kid's birthday. They'll go, oh, you know, 16 years ago today, you know, this angel came into the world. And I think, I don't know how to compete with that. I, I got nothing. I, like, you know, my... My son was expelled, and I thought, well, we should have taken a trip to Europe during that time. So that I could say, you know, we traveled to Europe. Because everybody always travels in their holiday letter. They always say, oh, we went to this place, and we went to that place. I said, really? I tried to go to Oxnard, but I overshot it. No, but the thing is that I have to remind myself that the truth is that those pictures are all bullshit. Because I know that kid that my friend is saying is the angel in her life is driving her fucking crazy and she hates his fucking guts because that's the yeah, truth I don't know right? why people don't just tell the truth <laughs> that, that it would just be so much healthier <laughs> for everyone you it know w- like they could keep, I, I could keep like a little running total of, of the days you know like you, you know it's go that one day at a time thing I could keep a running total of the days uh, uh, look haven't killed him yet you know day whatever day it is hey, look he's still alive uh, okay, so I want to talk. It's a miracle. I, I want to talk about your whole journey with becoming a mom. But before that, I want to go back to when you were a kid and you had a mom, Paula. You are. Somebody said to me today, the, the difference between a comic and a comedian, and I'm going to totally screw this up, but, um, but it was like a comic sees funny. A comic writes something funny, but a comedian sees things as funny or something like you just. I think that's a distinction in the head of the person that said it, because I'm not sure <laughs> that from a strictly dictionary point of view, that's true. I think it was Milton Berle, actually, and, and because it was Milton Berle, it could have been said by anyone, who knows. But, but When you first came to Los Angeles, did everyone tell you about uh, uh, Milton Berle's penis uh, size? Yes, they did. <laughs> that and then some really disgusting story about Danny, uh, about I think it was Danny Thomas, and they would always yes. say, here's the thing, they would go... They'd go, look, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and and they'd say, oh, no, I'm not going to tell anybody. And then, they would, and then they would tell me this disgusting story yes. about Danny Thomas, and they yes. would say they know it for certain because, you know, and then they would explain this, this chain of, you know, his housekeeper was my little brother's dental hygienist kids coach <laughs> yes and so and so i know for certain that this happened uh, yeah yeah that was those two things and take olympic those were the three things that i was told over and over again when i first came to los angeles oh my all right so now okay so this is it you think you think in funny i have been with you at phil's where you uh, it doesn't matter what the movie is it can be as serious you will just shoot something you see the funny in everything so was it always this way i mean when you when you were a little kid i mean i can't imagine you were ever any different when did you realize you were funny how did that did you have funny parents how did this happen the first sentence of the last paragraph of the summary letter written by my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Bump, in May of 1965, said, I have enjoyed many of Paula's humorous comments about our activities, which leads me to believe that I was doing like a tight five on Play-Doh. Way back then. I, so I found that, you know, I found that letter like in, you know, in the sort of, you know, in my, in my permanent record. 
in the in the stuff that my parents had saved, you know, I found it like maybe in high school or something. And I, I mean, I took it with me. And I left home, and I had it blown up really large. Um, it's so well because it was really my glory days. Apparently, was kindergarten because by first grade, Miss Carter wrote. Um, uh, Paul is prone to emotional outbursts and needs tutored in handwriting. So it was really downhill after after kindergarten. But boy, kindergarten apparently I was well appreciated by my teacher. It's neat when a when an adult recognizes something that a kid does, you know, in a positive way like that. It is. You know what I mean? Have you had it that with of, you, with your kids? Have they gotten that kind of feedback from their teachers? No, but when they do something, we will. <laughs> Okay, so so tell so well, you you had to have a funny parent. This had to come from somewhere. Where did this come from? No, I think it was probably more of a coping mechanism. So tell me about your um, parent. Tell me about when you were little Paula Poundstone. What was it? What did that look like? Where where'd you grow up? I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts. I grew up in a uh, Sudbury, Massachusetts, a, a, a beautiful place. I was yeah. very lucky to be raised in Massachusetts, which is a great state. I was born in Alabama. Wow. Um, yeah, but fortunately, my father was getting a job in suburb Massachusetts on the very night that I was, I was born. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and then uh, so they moved like a month uh, uh, after. What I, What did your father born. do? He was an electrical engineer. Honestly, so, I, I knew so little about what my father did. I thought he drove a train for years. <laughs> and when I, when I heard it was like no, he's an electrical engineer. It just it sounded so disappointing to me. <laughs> I was like, well, a train would be better, but okay. And so, okay, so so did you, so like, was was it a functional home, a dysfunctional, I mean, where did this humor come, was They're it? All, oh, come on. You, you name me one family is not dysfunctional. That's what the family is. It's two incredibly fucked up people who meet and mate and give birth to children who they fuck up exponentially. That's what the family is. So when this, this hip therapeutic phrase came along I don't know how many years ago with dysfunctional family and it made us all feel so unique you know when I was younger when I was in like high school or so um, and it lasted for so many humiliating years um, I really I was just such a drama queen for so 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 long I, 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 I really you know I wanted to be Judy Garland not, mm. not the part where she could sing and act but the part where I, I, would, I was hopeful that I would someday lock myself in my trailer and not come out. And that people would want me to come out. See, that's the key. I could at any time have gotten a trailer and locked myself in it. But the key with her was that people wanted her to come out and they were willing to wait until she did because she was this powerhouse of a performer. Um, I didn't work hard enough at that part. But the drama part, I was very big on. Okay, so so one time I did lock myself in a trailer on a set, and no one looked. I had to keep shouting, "I'm in here!" <laughs> Nothing, not a bucket. They just rode around it. <laughs> Your character's dead. All right, all right, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so all right, that's that's a question I want to ask you. So, what did you want to be? Did you know? Did you know you wanted to do the? Fun, you wanted to be locked in a trailer. Beside beside yeah, being locked in the trailer, but that was my high school. I was. I, I that was my my more layered years. <laughs> uh, from really from the time I was in kindergarten, probably I wanted to be. I wanted to be a cock. And I, what, uh, what what I was familiar with, yeah, was, you know, I wanted to be. I want to be a comic actress. I wanted mm. to be, you know, Lucy or Mary Tyler Moore yes. or Lily Tomlin or, 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 you know, when I got a little bit older, you know, Gilda 
um, uh, you know, I, I missed, or Carol Burnett, I missed by a country mile um, doing any of that, but that's what I wanted. And, and, and instead, I, you know, I, I started doing stand-up, and I, I sort of never really, you know, I don't know. I don't. Who 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 I, are your I, who are your stand up models? Because there weren't, you know, Toady Fields, Joan Rivers. There weren't a lot of women doing comedy. Who who? No, there weren't. So so, um, what made you want to do? Who who were your heroes? Who made you want? Well, it didn't have to be a woman. You know, okay, I mean, right. Like I like you know, I was not all that familiar with stand up per se because you know when I was growing up there were three channels. Right. And they turned off at, at like one in the morning. Um, yeah. You know, you'd mm-hmm. hear the. Uh, the uh, national anthem, yeah, yes. and see the the, the flag <laughs> flickering in the wind, and you knew that any second that horrible <laughs> sound was coming. Yeah. Oh my God, it was sad. Do you remember how depressing that was? Horrible, because I was still awake the, and I had nothing screen, to do. Kids today don't even know what it would be like for the screen to turn off. It was it was traumatic. It was. But so, but it, it, back then there were only three channels, mm-hmm. and stand up comedy. Uh, was something that one would see um, only really on the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. and my oh, parents Sullivan, didn't enjoy Ed my Sullivan. company well enough to keep me up that late. <laughs> well, no, Ed Sullivan had. St- I remember London Lee. Remember London Lee would be on Ed Sullivan, and no, I don't remember London Lee. I, I, you know, I don't know how much. I was still pretty little when Ed, during. You know, I probably know more of Ed Sullivan from. You're younger than I am. Well, from stuff, well, then I don't know why you know Ed Sullivan. Maybe you're thinking of someone else. No. <laughs> no I watched Ed Sullivan every Sunday night. I saw the Beatles. No, I I'm think old. you're thinking of Conan. <laughs> I think you're confused. Um, I guess we did. I don't know what we were watching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I know. I saw him sometimes, but I, I, I didn't see. I, I don't know how much stand-up. No, you know who I saw when I was younger? John Biner. I remember seeing him. Wasn't wow. that person? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, John Biner's um, son is one of my Facebook friends, and he is contrary to me for some reason, but that's beside the point. Um, contrary? He what is. He mean? he didn't like a, a political thing that I posted or something. He gave. I don't know. I don't know. He gave oh, me some shit for something. So 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 wait. So so you really didn't have some lady on Twitter today wrote to me. I t- I had said whatever I said on my yeah. Twitter thing, right? Mm-hmm. And some lady wrote, "Haven't you left yet?" <laughs> She said, you know, we, we we have free speech in this country, but we also respect our leaders. Oh, like, no. Because I had disparaged, you know, yeah. some idiotic thing that Trump had said, then in her mind, it meant that I was supposed to leave the country. Oh, my. And, and I'm not sure that it works that way. <laughs> oh, God. Finally, Our- I stood my ground. I'm so glad that you did. All right, we're going to get to to the current events in, in a little bit. I st- I still want to figure out how this happened. So so you really you didn't have really role models. You just decided this is what you wanted to do because you were kind of I'm guessing you were doing it organically because you do do it organically. I mean, I you just seem to find the funny in everything. Um and you are also very it seems to me left of center. Like I asked Paula, I'm telling these guys here, I asked Paula to do a little promo for my book at Phil's one day. And I said, I'm going to film this. And so she got on there and she started talking about, she saw me in a Seven Eleven, and I was, I had a thing of donut jump. You called them jumps. I don't even know what that is. And you oh, said, donut gems. Gems. And that I, I had donut gems. Gems. The white powdered sugar. Okay. There you go. And she said, and she left and she didn't even pay for them. And then, that was my promo for my book. And it was like the funniest thing ever. Nobody would ever think of doing anything like that. I don't understand where this stuff comes from in your brain. But 
so I'm do, so I'm guessing. Do you do you sit down and write your act? I can't even imagine. No, be, no, you don't. How do you do? What do you do? I did when I was younger. I did when I first started out. You know, I started in Boston in 1979, and I, I was so naive about what I was doing. Um, let's see. There was, uh, uh, you know, these two guys that were producing, you know, quote unquote producing quote unquote stand up comedy shows. Okay. Um, I don't know how they began because there had to be a day when they hadn't done it and then a day when they did. <laughs> so I don't know how they began exactly. But I first came across a flyer for a Comedy Connection stand-up comedy show mm-hmm. um, in, uh, uh, at a place called the Dingho in Inman Square and uh, in Cambridge. And um, I was there at the Dingho one night to see the manager of the restaurant I worked in, her friend's band. Okay. And um, while I was there, I see this flyer on the wall for this stand-up comedy show. Mm-hmm. They went to the stand-up comedy show, and right away, um, and they, by the way, nobody was very good, um, <laughs> because they hadn't been doing it for very long at right. all, Right. These, 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 these guys. But uh, what they did was they had six different acts. So nobody had that very much material. That was kind of brilliant on their part. Right. They, you know, it sort of you know, kept moving to some degree. Mm-hmm. They had six different acts and a host, or maybe five different acts and a host. And um, so afterwards, I contacted them, and I said, you know, I want to do this. I said, okay, will you come audition? And the way they had their auditions was mm-hmm. um, you went to this theater during the day, and they gathered up the comics, and they came and watched. And that was it. There was oh. no, um, the there was comics, no audience. The comics watched the other comics? But comics don't yeah. give it up for other comics, do they? No, it's a horrible place. Yeah. It's not a setting where somebody would really laugh. I mean, it's just a horrible idea yeah. and at that time i it never occurred to me that one would do material what uh-huh. i thought was i would have some ideas uh-huh. and i would just sort of talk which is interesting because in the end that is sort of how i work yeah but at the time that was not a particularly good technique <laughs> so instead i just sort of wandered around this little stage there was like a broom straw on the stage i remember and I just sort of nervously kept picking it up and talking about it. And I think these guys, I think they all went out drinking afterwards. I think it was such an intense, like, my God, what is this woman doing kind of a thing. So then, then they called me up in a few weeks. Yeah. And they said, well, we're putting together an all-women's show. We wanted you to come do the all-women's show. Um, and, uh, and so it's for that, I did write material. Uh-huh. And I... Was I? You could tell. Can, can you tell? Can you tell us a joke? Could you remember something you wrote? I don't remember anymore. I think. Okay. I think. Well, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe my international pan, house of pancakes jokes, which I still do. <laughs> yes, which um, are And this is 37 years later, um, because there, because there's a true there's a true thing, which is. Um, I worked at the International House of Pancakes in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. 11 at night to 7 in the morning, and um, it was the worst job I ever had in my entire life. And when people would be rude to me, I would touch their eggs. <laughs> I would flip them over in the back with my hands a couple of times. They didn't know. I felt better. It worked out. And uh, so I would talk about that a little bit. Um, and I can't remember what all else Some, uh, you um, know, I, I did back then. But the funny thing is, and any comic will tell you this, yeah, which is that I that was like my first time really legitimately on stage, and my recollection is that it went great. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose it's a little bit like your first 
baby. I mean, I didn't give birth, <laughs> but I suppose a little bit like your first baby in that if if it wasn't a good experience, you probably didn't have more kids. <laughs> Um, no, so because you forget. The second no, one I, where I, it falls apart. I had 36 hours of labor the first time. It was an absolute horrific experience. But as soon wow. as you see the baby, all of that is gone. It's it's over. They say that, and it's true. Otherwise, nobody would ever have a second child. It just wouldn't happen. I, um, for my son, who I, 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 I fostered and then adopted him, I get a phone call one evening um, telling me that there was this, baby that needed a home. I went and um, put the baby car seat in the car. I called somebody to babysit for the girls. I drove to the hospital. I picked them up. I signed some forms. I stuck them in the little bucket car seat thing. <laughs> I put them in the car. Uh, I drove past the McDonald's um, drive-up window, got a Big Mac. <laughs> and I was home. I don't know. I wasn't gone for more than two hours. <laughs> I think it's the way to do it. I do. Uh, um, my husband was eating a hamburger in the delivery room. That's a whole other story. That's <laughs> okay. I don't think anything would appeal to me in the delivery room, honestly. I mean, this is just based not on experience other than television shows. It, you it, know, I mean, I've seen people give birth in television shows and also in the one Star Trek movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all I know about it. But it just doesn't strike me as a place where I'd go, you know, gosh, I could do with a burger right now. Honey, honey, can you reach the ketchup? Yeah, no, it wasn't on my mind. It was, in fact, yeah, I wanted to pull his hair out. I was, it was disgusting. Okay, so, all right. So, so okay, so so you wrote at the beginning, then you, then you, at what point did you realize you could abandon that and you could just trust yourself? Did you just trust yourself more and well, I mean, more? I didn't, I didn't abandon it entirely. I mean, I have, I have a notebook of with material written in the difference is I don't generally write the stuff out word for word anymore. Mm -hmm. What I usually have is a couple of, you know, a few lines written down to remind me mm -hmm. of, um, what the, you know, what the topic was or, you know, what the joke. And honestly, it's probably not the greatest system because in truth, um, uh, it, uh, I've lost a lot of stuff that I can't remember anymore. But it's now everything not probably there any longer. most of it probably gets filmed somehow. People like are taking videos, and it probably ends up on YouTube. And well, I guess what I I finally you know my I had management years ago who used to say to me, oh you know you got to audio tape your shows, and mm. then you go back over it, and then you write stuff down so they don't lose stuff. Well, I have a couple of problems with that. First of all, I hate listening to myself. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It just feels almost it's punitive. Yeah, you know. And so, you know, this is not a pleasant, so I would put it off and put it off, mm. and, you know. And then the other thing is, then, then I'm stuck memorizing. Mm. And so what I, what I, I have some sort of hybrid system that I think that I use, which is, um, first of all, sort of like, remember when you go on a trip somewhere when you were younger, maybe go to visit your grandparents or go visit cousins. And for us, we always, we always drove, we did a lot of long car trips, you know, um, and and phone calling wasn't as accessible then as it is now and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, you know, when we would get out of the car at somebody's house, um, we were brimming with what we wanted to tell them. Mm. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have to memorize it. <laughs> uh, I didn't even write it down. I was just brimming with what I wanted to tell someone. And um, that's 
the state in which I like to hit the stage. Oh, I love um, that. You know, brimming with what I want to tell people. <sighs> sometimes it's something that I've told many times. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a new thing. Sometimes it's something that happened, you know, between uh, the venue and the hotel, or the <sighs> hotel and the venue. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes it's it's germane only, to, you know, it, it, only to that night. Uh-huh. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't require memorization exactly. It's just any more than any other conversation that one has does. And I do spend a lot of time on stage going, gee, I was just going to tell you something that fell out of my head. <laughs> I do. I'm sort of, I sort of perform like somebody's dotty old aunt. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I love that. No one has ever explained stand-up to me that way. I kind of love that. It makes total sense. And I see well, that in you. Is the audience is my, it, they really are my best friend. Hmm. And I don't get together with, for example, where was I just? Uh, uh, I was in Colorado Springs on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be with those people again, you know, probably for another couple of years, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, each time I I arrive, I you know I try to arrive, you know, tell them this, you know, the stuff that's been happening since I was last there. So does and does it ever happen to you that you get someplace and you're not brimming to to speak? Yes. And so what do you it do does. then? So then what do you do? Uh, um, well, you know. No, really. Games. Um, I take out a mon- <laughs> monopoly. Anybody else? Um, I don't know. You, you find know, a way to channel it, I'm assuming. I of do course. find a way. Yeah, I do. Generally speaking, what happens is, I mean, there are times where I'm just about to go on. I'm like, you know, I have no idea what to say. But part of it is I have been doing this job for 37 years. Yes. And so there's a certain amount that just sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you know, it, I, I could die and my mouth would continue to <laughs> do my job. You, you know, like not forever, but for at, at least, you know, a couple of minutes. I would just continue to do the thing that I do because I've done it for so long. So some of it is just sort of, you know, I don't know, muscle memory of okay, so, work, I think. So tell, t- give, me, give us an idea. This show is The Road Taken, and it's basically a roadmap of how you did what you did. So you're funny in kindergarten. You're getting this great report. How did how did oh so you're doing this first comedy club and and they give you the woman's thing? How did you go from that to having like your first bit of success? How did that happen? Well, when I get some success, I'm going to call this number again. First of all, I, you know I wouldn't call myself wildly successful, but I'm certainly uh, lucky enough to to have done this job for a really long time, and it's a um. It's a joyous job. It's a privilege to do it. I, I, I feel I feel absolutely lucky that I've gotten to um, be able to raise my you know a family mm-hmm. and um, you know have a roof over our heads um, through doing this joyous job all these years. It's I'm the luckiest uh, performer in the world. But I uh, so I. All right, stop being humble, and and I appreciate that, and and I do know that you mean it, but I I also know that you know that there are people like me, Louise, there are people that just adore you and have for for those 37 years, and 
when I see that your name is on and you're going to be on something, I'm going to watch. And I know oh, that I'm going to have... But it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, and I, I know I'm going to laugh my ass off. You know? Huh? They don't have to... I don't have crowd control problems. <laughs> you know, they don't have to <laughs> shut down a store for me to shop or anything. No, come on, Paula. How? So how did you get your first TV gig? How did that happen? Well, let's see. I... All right, so I was in Boston telling my little jokes. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay there all that long, although it's funny, looking back, it feels like such a huge chunk of my history, but in mm-hmm. truth, it wasn't really that long. It was mm-hmm. just impactful, I guess. Um, the uh, comedy scene in Boston was very misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, uh, it was loud, a little bit gross, mm-hmm. and I didn't fit in very well there, besides which I wasn't very good mm-hmm. um, because I hadn't, I didn't, you know, you got... The only way you get good is stage time. Absolutely. So, and I wasn't one of the uh, beloved members of 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 the uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, of the of the the, the producers list, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, you know, so I wouldn't get as much stage time as some of the other guys did. And therefore, I thought, well, you know what? Um, a couple of the guys in Boston had gone out and um, uh, gone to different cities mm-hmm. to to do. You know, just to check it out, and then they came back again. And and to those of us, you know, in, in doing stand up in Boston at the time, these are they were like, you know, they were like Marco Polo. They were, you know, they were they were revered, like they had gone, or, or you know, or, or, or Columbus or something. You know, they didn't fall off the edge, and 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 they and they brought back great riches. Um, so I got some, you know, I got some names of some places from some of those guys, uh-huh. and I got on a Greyhound bus. Wow. Um, back then, you could get uh, a pass. It was called the Mara Pass. Basically, mm-hmm. it was a, a blank ticket book. And for a month, um, for that $150, you'd go anywhere you wanted mm-hmm. for a month. Wow. Now, of course, the key is the further away the place was, the longer it took to get there, and you ate mm-hmm. into your month. But <laughs> um, So I, you know, I sort of strategized, and um, I went to different cities to see what clubs were like in different places. I was in... Chicago. I was in. Uh, I was in Montreal and Toronto. Uh, I was in Denver. Um, uh, and and uh, and and what I would do is, um, uh, I actually had like no money, of course. Mm-hmm. So um, I wait. Would, wait, you uh, would do this without like having something set up? You would just like hit the road? No, I made some phone calls before I, okay. I went to mm-hmm. um, to. Uh, um, you know, I didn't get jobs, but the, mm-hmm. yeah, but I made some phone calls to you know say, well, I want to come. You know, they basically uh, go do their open mic night. Right, right, right. You know, um, but uh, I uh, he, he, here's the way I would work it. Say I took the Greyhound bus to Denver, for example, which mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get off the bus, put my suitcase, suitcase in a locker, um, and then I had a little yellow day pack that I carried around, mm-hmm. I would check the schedule, um, the, the bus schedule, mm-hmm. and I would find a, 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 a location that was four hours away by bus from Denver. Mm-hmm. And I would find what was the last departure for that location. Mm-hmm. So say it was, I, I don't know, Center City or, you know, say, say, so, so here's what I do. Say was Center City, and the last bus was leaving at eleven o'clock at night for Center City, which was four hours away from Denver. Mm-hmm. I would return to the bus at um, eleven o'clock, take that bus to Center City, four hours away, and the minute I got there, 
I would reverse and go back to Denver. And in this way, I got my eight hours sleep every night. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I was 19. Oh, my God. That and, was, you know, part wow. of me looks back and I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. Um, I mean, oh I was really God. a little bit unbalanced in some ways, uh, but this worked. Wow. And, uh, and I did it. I did it. I did it for more than, I don't know, I did it for more than one month. I hope um, you got, did you get to shower somewhere? Where did you shower? Well, you know, I would occasionally stay with friends. Mm-hmm. Like I would occasionally go up someplace and stay with friends. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I did shower not, not as often as some might, <laughs> um, but, but I did. And, and uh, I ended up in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And uh, San Francisco, on a Monday night, because, you know, one of the things, I, I needed stage time. Right. I needed to find a place where I was going to be able to get stage time. And so on a, on a, on a Monday night in San Francisco back then, there, you, you could go to three different clubs to yeah. stand up. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and, and I loved the audiences there. They, were, mm-hmm. they liked innovation. Mm-hmm. They, they liked stuff that seemed you know, creative, whether it was or not. Um, they they liked going for the ride. They right. liked the idea that they were getting in on the ground floor of something. Mm. And so they didn't necessarily um, require a lot of spit and polish. Hmm. And I fit in very well there because to this day, I, I'm not polished in any way. I, 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 you know, I always wanted to have like a big closing joke. <laughs> You know, a lot of guys would have like you know some music tape that would come up when they closed or something. It's a grand closure. No matter what joke I had, and the whole idea is that you're putting in your funniest stuff, right? So you're sort of building right in your last joke, and people call you back for an encore because it was so fucking great, right? No matter what joke I ever put in the closing slot, yeah. No matter how funny it had been somewhere in the middle, <laughs> if I put it in the closer, it was just too much pressure. And the crowd would just, nothing. So, I, 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 eventually, I, I, I got to where, you know, here's how I close my show. I said, thank you, good night. So how, someone like you who doesn't map out the whole thing, how do you, do you just like, when you get like the big laugh, you say, okay, I'm going to close now. Like, how do you know when you're done? Sometimes, and, and so it can make for a very short show. Thank you. I got to laugh. I'm leaving now. <laughs> no, really. Like, do you, do you plan out the last? Do you have the last joke planned? I do. I mean, I have a last joke. Yeah, I do. you have to. Um, but it, 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 it's it's you know it can be touch and go. And and actually, in fact, I was notorious for going on way too long um, because what people didn't realize is that was because I kept trying to get that big closing laugh. <laughs> and I it, I just every you know when. When I, I would launch into something and it sort of wouldn't go anywhere, now I'm forced to do more time. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think people thought it was because I somehow thought I was really great. No, it's the polar opposite. I, I realize I suck, Aww. and so I have to, you know. Finally, I just said to the audience, look, let's, let's end this for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving until I get a substantial laugh. So that I look like an idiot. <laughs> oh my! God. Will Durst actually was talking about. He was on the show last week, and he was talking about that. You guys were part of that scene back in those days. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Durst was there when I got there. Uh, was Robin Williams there when you got there? 
He was. Robin was a predecessor, you know. Right. Earth had come from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because I mean, we came from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, and we were all, it was a relatively new thing. You know what's interesting? So I started in Boston, and as I said, you know, nobody that I knew was very good at all because they had all just started too. Right. This, the, this renaissance of stand-up comedy took place in a bunch of cities in the United States at, at the same time. Right. And I've never known why. Mm-hmm. I've never known what was it that they, you know, made that it was sort of a fad, and I've never known what that, what, what kicked it off, other than Robin to some degree. Mm-hmm. Don't don't you think that the that all the cable stations that were having like the Caroline's Comedy and all that stuff, it was all on TV? So this is before that though. That, that's those true. Those things weren't those yeah, things true. weren't happening yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was still not cable when I first started. Right, right. Um, and then. You know, and then, well, stand-up, cable was beholden to the stand-up comics mm-hmm. at one point mm-hmm. because, you know, once they had, you know, 24 hours of programming, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they had to fill it with something. And stand-up comedy is pretty cheap to produce. Right. They have no costume changes. <laughs> well, most, hope, hopefully, yeah. Uh, so, so okay, so, so you're doing this, but you... And don't put yourself down. You broke through. How did that happen? How'd you break through? How'd you get your first TV thing? Um, well, actually, you know, uh, Robin was a big, huge star already, mm-hmm. long long before I arrived. Yeah. Um, he was probably at the tail of Mork and Mindy when I showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's from the Bay Area, so mm-hmm. he went to, up there a lot. He um, And then he lived also in Los Angeles, and he... He used to come out to the clubs. You know, Robin was uh, Robin was um, a bit of a vampire. I think mm-hmm. um, he really fed off of audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it. I think it's how you know it's it's the fresh blood that kept him alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 that, uh, that renewed him. Mm-hmm. And so you know he, he was forever uh, coming into the clubs and um, you know in San Francisco. Um, and uh, so he hung out with us, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we met in that way. Um, just you know, we were all all the comics hung out together. Right. We were all waiting to go on together, it, it, particularly at the open mic nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was hugely popular uh, it, it, within the f- first couple of years that that I was working. Um, an open mic night might have there might be thirty people who wanted to go up in a mm-hmm. night. Right. And uh, as we all waited, you know, we'd watch one another and, mm-hmm. and, and wait to go on. And we all, you know, just became friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Robin, kindly, and also Dana Carvey, um, mm-hmm. had a management down in Los Angeles that they both um, spoke to uh, about me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I can't remember who uh, set this up, but I went down and did a set at the improv in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... These guys came out and saw me, and uh, and um, you know took 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 me on their roster, and uh, um, and I got you know I got shows um, when Robin guest hosted Saturday Night Live. This mm-hmm. would have been somewhere in the eighties, mid eighties. Um, uh, it was the Eddie Murphy cast, mm-hmm. and um, he brought me on to do stand up. Which I 
I don't know. I don't watch Saturday Night Live, but I, 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 my guess is that's the only time that's ever happened. I was going to say, maybe I don't because, remember there maybe ever I being... Maybe very sta- good. And they just said, well, let's not make that mistake again. I don't but, remember um, ever seeing stand-up. Yeah, I think you were the only one ever. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's just sort of the strength of Robin's request. Wow. It had a lot more to do with the fact that he wanted me to do it mm-hmm. than with any, you know, colossal talent that I wowed anybody with. Um, and uh, in that same week, um, I did... Uh, I did Saturday Night Live, and I did David Letterman. And uh, and then Letterman had me back a number of times over the years. And, that, had a, uh, that had to be a life changer for you. No? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you're doing it, you know, I don't know. It didn't, you know, looking back, you go, oh, yeah. And then, uh, and then as I said about cable, you know, HBO, mm-hmm. oh, for God. the same reasons, was hungry for content. Mm-hmm. And so they started doing, like, you know, this comedy show and that comedy show, and I kind of worked my way up within the HBO hierarchy, which was, you know, I did shows that had lots of stand-ups on them, and then eventually I got, like, my own HBO specials, and those went well. And you won a Cable Ace Award, first woman to ever do that. Unbelievable. Okay, how did you get the White House Correspondents' Dinner? It was Clinton, yeah? We just it left- wasn't Clinton. It, oh. was the, it was the first George Bush. Oh, and, my um, God. Whoa. I was, uh, what? Charles Bierbauer <gasps> from CNN was the head of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah. I had been working on a show in Los Angeles. Um, we were, uh, um, uh, I did a talk show briefly for HBO mm-hmm. that, that, that I made. And uh, there were only four, you know, they only taped four episodes. And... Um, like a get, you were the host and you had guests on. I was what? the host. It was just called the Paula Poundstone Show. And, and um, how did I miss that? Because uh, yeah, there were only four episodes. Okay. That's, the, right. that's the same story goes with a lot of things I've done. Like you know, because <laughs> you know, there was only one. Yeah, because there were only two. <laughs> but there were four episodes of uh-huh. the show. And I did. Um, my wonderful manager Bonnie Burns was hired to be. Um, this was before we'd ever met. Uh-huh. We, we we met when she got hired to be my. Um, uh, the producer mm-hmm. on this show. Mm-hmm. And so she said, well, you know, having never done, um, you know, a show like this before, well, I should do practice shows, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we set up these practice shows. And, uh, you know, basically the premise was that people would come on and teach me stuff, mm-hmm. you know, about different topics that, mm-hmm. that, that I had an interest in. And so one of them was, um, do you remember Sarah McClendon, who was a White House correspondent? Um, she was... Elderly. She was about Helen Thomas's age, maybe slightly older. You said that, and a picture came to my mind, but I'm not sure if I'm picturing the right she person. She was short. She, she was from blonde Tyler, hair? Texas. Um, she had brown hair. Okay, a no. little bit, maybe a little, you know, a little bit auburn, mm-hmm. maybe. But mm-hmm. um, she uh, she was feisty. She was mm-hmm. a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. She often she was short, so she often sat on the back of her chair. Mm-hmm. Um, she and and. Uh, um, she was there, I think the last president that was president while she was still alive and was still a correspondent um, was probably Clinton. Mm-hmm. She was, she was um, a White House correspondent through 10 presidents. Wow. And um, Bonnie had her uh, come be on one of these practice shows that mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or maybe it was one of the taped ones. I can't remember any longer, honestly. But she said to me, uh, Sarah said to me, she says, uh, well, you know, if you ever want to come to Washington and I- I'll show you around. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I-, I had been in Washington for all of, you know, 
maybe to work a club or something, but mm-hmm. that was it. And mm-hmm. so when I when she said that to me, man, I called her the following day. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So she hooked me up with a bunch of people there. She took me to the White House. She took me to, she to you know, the, the correspondence used to be in the basement of the White House. And um, so she took me there to wow. uh, meet all these people. Uh-huh. And it was a wonderful entree. And... Um, so somewhere along the way, I don't know, Charles Beerbauer sees me somewhere and asks if I wanted to. I mean, at the time, I must say, the Correspondence Dinner wasn't the big deal that it eventually became. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was really for the correspondence. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, the president would be there, yes, but it was really for the correspondence. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh so, anyways, he asked me if, if you know if you know if I wanted to do this thing, and I originally said no. I said I, I didn't see how that would work. It didn't it didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really see why I would be appealing to these people. Mm-hmm. And he says so. He comes and he sees me, you know, in a theater somewhere or something, and he says, No, 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 you'd be great. You'd be what we want. <clears throat> and so I said, All right, but I don't like, you know, I'm a Democrat, you know. Yes. So, so I say, <laughs> I say, I don't want. I'll do it. I was such an idiot. I go, I'll do it, but I don't want any pictures with George Bush. I don't want to talk to him. I, you know, you know, I was young, right? Just plain stupid. So I, you know, I sort of lay out all this, and Charles sort of it indulges me. Um, he doesn't wow. say like you're an idiot, but I'm sure he was thinking it. But anyway, so we, you know, make all these arrangements. Now I arrive uh, in 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 Washington on the on the day of the dinner, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I I go to my room, and the message light is on on the phone. And uh, I call down the front desk, and I say, yeah, yeah, you know. And they say, uh, oh, there's a message here from the White House. Uh-huh. And I call, and um, uh, President Bush uh, wanted to meet with me. I took my spine, <laughs> put it under my mattress. <laughs> I flew to the White House. I don't I don't think my feet touched the ground. The president wanted to meet with me. What the hell did I been seeing? You know, he cut to me a few minutes later with my hand on his shoulder. You know, this picture, that picture. I couldn't get enough pictures of me with the president. And I gotta say, you know what? He was charming. He was he was he was he really? was he was charming. Eventually, and we were, I, I had some friends with me, and we were there for a really long time. I just couldn't get over that he could spend this kind of time with me. And um, and, and then somebody came in and he handed him a note. And, and, and maybe they just had like a signal, like, okay, if I can't get rid of this woman, please come in. But um, it was uh, Boris Yeltsin's on the phone. <laughs> so I said, I said, you know what? I'll wait. Uh, no, we left. Um, but and I said to a friend of mine, actually, this is a this is a great lesson in politics. I had a friend that I had met through another job entirely that was a congressman from Oregon, mm-hmm. and his name was Mike Kopetsky, a great guy. And uh, so I had plans to meet with Mike. I don't know that day or next day. I can't remember anymore. And when I get together with him now, when I originally had talked to Mike about me coming, uh-huh. I had told my big thing about, yeah, I'm going, but I'm not going to meet the president because I'm a Democrat. <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. and, uh, and uh, now, you know, I've totally sucked up. 
And uh, so <laughs> now I meet with Mike, and I'm like, you know, at first I wasn't even going to tell him. And then finally I said, look, okay, I did go to the White House, and, uh, you know, I think <laughs> it was before iPhones, or I would have taken out my phone to show him the photos, I'm sure. <laughs> but I go, okay, I did go to the White House. And I said, but you know, Mike, he was really charming. <laughs> and Mike goes, Paula, we're all charming, or we wouldn't get elected. Oh, right? although and that's wait, the truth. Well, it's not. It's not the truth anymore, Paul. And please tell me that you wouldn't go to the White House this time. Mm. Um, would I? Would I go to the White House this time? No, no, no. I wouldn't. I don't no, think you'd find charm no, I would there. Say, okay, my guess would be, mm-hmm. and this is just a guess. <laughs> I mean, well, there's two things going on here. First of all, Donald Trump has glaring mental health problems, and mm-hmm. that's that's the number one problem. Mm-hmm. How that explains why people responded to him, I, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I that I can't figure out. No, but it's clear mm-hmm. when you hear the guy talk and you see him, like, oh my gosh, okay, he's he's got some problems. Um, but my guess would be, yeah, if you were sitting with him, talking with him. No, that don't tell me that he's no. I'm I, I I'm not buying it. It's, I I believe that he probably would be. I, I can't. You know, I don't buy the charm. Mm-mm. I, I it's you know people with mental health problems can be quite charming. Uh, you know I have my moments. Um, so I you know I don't I I think but but what but what Mike what my friend who was this congressman was saying mm-hmm. was that's besides the point. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Basically, when you run for office, mm-hmm. you 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 are exposed to so much meeting people mm-hmm. and talking to people. You know, like I, I did a uh, rally for Clinton a few of them many years ago, mm-hmm. and we had met a couple of times. You know, just a rally or something, mm-hmm. right? A couple. Of, of times, right? The guy's met thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And I, at one point, I was backstage at this rally in Orange County with him. And, uh, and he says, haven't we met before? <laughs> and I thought, my God, that's, am- that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. But you know what? That's, that, it's like Malcolm Gladwell's uh, outliers, you know. That's, that's his, he's got his 10,000 hours of talking to people and knowing how to connect with them in such a way that makes them feel special. He was the mo- he's the most charismatic human being I've ever been in the presence of. Um, right, G- but Gabe- you, you don't necessarily get that from, from... That's a developed... That's a developed... Skill, yes, which is I what agree. my friend was saying to yes, me. I, saying, that, yeah, mm-hmm. you get, you know, we're charming. Yeah, we are. That's how we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they used to say that Bob Dole was the funniest guy in the Senate. I never found Bob Dole funny for a second on television. <laughs> he looked like a sour old man to me. Yes. But people would say that he was, you know, he's very. So I, my guess is, if I ever met him face to face, that I would have found him, you know, terribly amusing. Bro, <laughs> I would have found Bob Dole troll. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so was there was there a def- and don't put yourself down. Was there like there there had to be at least one moment of you 
loving your life of loving where you are and what's happened was there a defining moment of something that you got that was just something you wanted so much or that was so great to get or that you that the experience of it was just was there was there a defining moment for you because you've had a lot of success shut up you have yeah, you know oh i don't know um i was there something you wanted so badly and then you got it or um, or something that once you got you know, it? But there's always, you know, the thing is, I, somebody used to do this thing in their act about saying to somebody, well, you know, I got the Tonight Show and they'd go, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, even know if they still do it this way on the Tonight Show, but in the old days, mm-hmm. you know, so you got Tonight Show and the guy would go, would you, or did, did you get paneled? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and paneled was when you'd sit down afterwards. Right. And Good that was it. like a step up for a comic. Hell yeah. Unlike other performers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some other performers would come out and do whatever they did, and then mm-hmm. they would automatically go sit down, with right. the, particularly Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. But for comics, it wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. Because it, you, you'd have to get waved over. Right. It was, it, it was this, you know, so there was always like this other, you know, nothing ever felt like, yes, and I've achieved this thing. It always felt like, um, and now there's this other, you know, which is part of what makes people work at what they do and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, always having a, uh, a goal. Mm-hmm. Sort. But, you know, to me, um, I, you know, I work a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I keep a very, very, very busy schedule. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've done shows. Uh, I usually sell, uh, you know, I have like CDs and, mm-hmm. and a book and blah, blah, blah. And, and and so I come out afterwards, and I tell people, I say, you don't have to buy anything at all to come up and say hello. <laughs> and and um, and so, you know, basically I do a meet and greet mm-hmm. after most shows, not everyone, but most of them. Mm-hmm. And in this way, and I've done it for several years now, and in this way, I've come to know my audience a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. there are some return people who will bring me pictures of the last time they were there with me or, you know, or, or mm-hmm. you know, I, you know. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, um, I, my husband died and I, I didn't think, you know, I could ever enjoy anything again. And I had so much fun, Mm. you know, laughing at your blah, 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 Mm -hmm. whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, I wouldn't have thought about that mm-hmm. when I was first thinking about being a comic. Mm-hmm. It would never occur to me that anybody would say anything like that to me ever. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a pretty nice pinnacle. That's a pretty nice thing. Yeah, and it, and it happens a lot. A surprising amount. Yes, I'm yeah, sure it Yeah, it happens a surprising amount. I mean, you know, I happen to do a job that is a, you know, a job, you know, I'm a comic. Um, and nature gave us this thing, and I don't know if it was given to any other species. I kind of think raccoons and maybe <laughs> some dogs, but that we find things funny, and it's a tool for healing. Yes, it and is, and a tool for communicating, and a tool for be- feeling connected, mm-hmm. and and um, y- you know. That's what we were just talking about at the top of the show. It's the it's the only saving grace these days. These last couple of months is connecting. Well, I mean, I wonder if it's also sometimes a deceptive bomb 
Um, I, I mean, sometimes a little bit. I worry that it, 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 it's the uh, what's the word the the opiate of the people. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I sometimes wonder what the Germans were doing <laughs> during this phase before their difficulties. Uh-huh. I wonder were were there people sitting around thinking that Hitler was kind of funny? No. They, I mean, obviously they didn't have social networking, but. You know, no, but they, they were getting drunk were they in bars. By it in the beginning, they were getting drunk in bars. We've seen, I've seen the footage. You know, they were in bars. They were drinking. They were singing. They were dancing. They were partying in Germany before, yeah. right? That's what yeah. they were doing. They were playing. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, uh, obviously, many of them joined in, but there were a lot, certainly, that didn't share that view. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I just so sometimes I wonder if we're um, uh, what's the guy. What is the guy? Is the character's name is Charlie in um, the Music Man, um, and remember he's trying to. Uh, oh, he's trying to bust Harold Hill. Do you remember that? I I don't. Oh, and I feel guilty because Craig Bierko was a friend of mine. And he played Harold Hill. And I I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't a, know. He's, he has this express. He says you're you know. Basically, what he's saying, he keeps saying you're fiddling in the parlor while someone's, you know, coming in through the window in the other room or something. But you know, that, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I, you know, maybe we're. But how can uh, we pay more attention than we're paying, Paul? I mean, I, we were just talking about this. We get up, we get on the, on the social media. We're reading all this shit. We can't get anything else done. It becomes like this. The, we're obsessed with this. I mean, we need those moments well, of I laughter. Mean, you know, I guess the question is, what are the actionable steps? Now, yeah. here in California, um, I, I really don't know what the actionable steps are because, in truth, it's not right my congressperson because my congressperson's already doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. My, exactly. my congressperson yeah. knows what they're doing. And, mm-hmm. and guess, so, that, you know, it, it's really people, you know, more in the, you know, in the states that supported Trump mm-hmm. um, that need to, uh, you know, they need... You know, they need to make the phones of these people ring off the hook. Right. Um, because that's all they care about. They, they care about votes. Mm-hmm. They don't care about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, or, that's not true. That's not fair. Um, it is the thing that they care about most. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, what's the right thing to do, uh, maybe it doesn't have the same focus as getting votes. So if, if 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 people were to make it clear that you know we don't we don't support this, um, but again in California it doesn't do me any good. Mm-hmm. I don't know maybe I have to move to West Virginia. <laughs> well, I I think we need a leader of the resistance. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for somebody to like just show themselves to just. Well, you have to join an indivisible group. I have group. a great idea. Katniss. <laughs> Katniss would be excellent. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I love it. With her, with her bow and arrow thing. I, I like you it. You know what? If forced, I will take the lead. <laughs> you will take the lead. Excellent. <laughs> we found you. So, so, so in that vein, is there anything that you haven't done, Paula, that you, that you dream? All right. So you wanted to be Lucy and stuff. Is that still like a dream that you have of like getting yeah, that role? I would really like to do like comic actress. Stuff. I would love, yeah. I would and, love and, to see And maybe I will at some point. I don't know. Um, I would like to write. Uh, a, a, a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, uh, 
I'm not a good writer and I have no ideas. So Don't that's you, been slowing uh, me down. You, 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 are an, I, you're, you are a wonderful writer. Your book is phenomenal. And if you applied it to telling a story other than your own, you could do it. But please don't ever stop telling your stories because your stories are fantastic. You don't need to write fiction. Just keep writing about your life because it's fantastic. And, well, thank you very much. Uh, an oasis in this desert of <laughs> cesspool hell that we're in. So I have one last question for you, Paula. Before we go, so you are a hero of mine, and and don't say anything bad about yourself. I mean, I, I just adore you, and you, I you have never not made me laugh in any situation. Seeing you in person, watching you on television, you're just hysterical. I just adore you. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you do that like you have shame about? Although I'm reading your book, so I'm. Oh my god, I have tons of shame about everything I do. What are you okay, kidding me? Okay, so is there anything that like you wish like nobody knew that you like liked? Is there anything that you like indulge no, I mean, in? Unfortunately, I've never kept a secret in my life. If there's something you know you don't want people to know, certainly don't tell it to me. Um, no, because I've shared. Everything. You've shared everything. I mean, I've I've in my. I wrote a book called "There's Nothing in This Book That I Meant to Say," and I and I and I and I and I I, I told uh, uh, that I had a crush on Larry from the Three Stooges. <laughs> oh God, I'm choked. Okay, yeah, well, that's a guilty pleasure. I, if I, ever I, I, I heard one. I had a one time that I was making out with Larry from the Three Stooges, <laughs> and I told this to a therapist once, and they they sort of. They got really nervous. They, <laughs> they, started, they started sort of dusting the office. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that is my, that's a perfect guilty pleasure. With that, I will, um, I will let you go. We've kept you way longer than I promised I would. I but... know, I know. I'm, 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 I'm late for dinner, but, um, but, 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 but it was so much fun talking to you. I, I love talking about my job because, as I told you, I'm the luckiest performer in the entire world. And I, I love that brimming over, and I'm, I'm, and just yes, key, it, that's magic that you do there with that brimming over. Thank you so much, Paula. I adore you. I appreciate it so Thank much. You, Thanks Vicky, for me. It was really fun talking to you. Excellent. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. So easy, John, Justin. Okay, for me, first of all, I. I I said a couple weeks ago that Debbie Reynolds is the funniest human being on the planet that I, but I only saw Debbie do it once, mm -hmm. but I've been, in, I've been blessed to be in Paula's company um, many times at Phil's and, and I have never, I said it to her at the end of the, of the, of the conversation, I have never not been brought to tears when she is in the room, whether she's on television or in person or right here. She is for me, maybe the funniest person on the planet. She's, she's right up there. If, if not, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I was literally crying through most of that tears actually streaming down my <laughs> face. But I think the takeaway for me with Paula is I love so much that brimming over thing and wanting to spill it. And I think that's the secret to her success, and I think that's the tool, and I think that's the lesson with her, is to love what you do so much that you have to share it. Right. That's right? excellent, yes. I mean, that's, and, and for me, that's this. That's the road taken. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to get into this studio every week. I love it. Um, Louise, I know it's for you with Journals Out Loud. Well, I, I just wanted to say that I, 
in addition to you know her love to share it, there is the love of the audience to receive it. Oh yeah, hell and yeah. And so, and we're all kind of starved for the things that we love. So it's uh, it's a mutually beneficial relationship with life, and that's what you what you want to strive for. And that's what she was saying. She was yeah. saying how lucky she is to do what she does, and she's so blessed that this is her life to be a comic. But but I think what sets her apart. Um, and why she's able to not write the whole act down and to trust herself to just get up there is because she's brim she's she's she has to share what like she said she doesn't keep any secrets she she spills everything and it's that willingness to be so open mm -hmm. and to be so forthcoming what do you John's shaking his head what, yeah, what are you I, thinking I just think she's being herself mm -hmm. like she's I don't I don't know if it's being natural but she's she is who she is and the fact that she can't she doesn't feel comfortable trying to trying to script something out mm -hmm. i mean that just tells me she she what you see is what you get and she's funny and it's also that she doesn't uh, what she was saying that she doesn't want to memorize something because but i think it's that it's not that she doesn't want to memorize it because it would be work it's because she doesn't want to memorize it because she wants it to be fresh because she wants it to be something that's organically coming and here's somebody that sees the funny in everything right so she's gifted in that way but yes. additionally she's not afraid of people seeing all of her, and I think a lot of mm -hmm. comics who are very scripted, they go on stage and they're just like, well, I know you'll like this funny part of me and that's what I'm going to present to you, but mm -hmm. the rest of me I kind of hate and you would too. I mean, that's sort of you know the secret that they keep, but I think she's comfortable with who she is, flawed and all, human and all, and so she just gets up there and she's ready to do it without fear. And it's easier to do that when you are gifted and pretty much every word out of your mouth is funny. And yeah, brilliant. And, I, yeah, it's yeah. kind of hard to argue with the fact that, you know, she was saying sometimes she stays up there too long because she waits for the big laugh. I, I, I'm, I'm not really buying that because I've never <laughs> seen her not getting the big laugh. So Justin, I'm curious because you're of a different generation and I mean, we came up, we came up with Paula, but she, uh, did you know who Paula was before? Uh, I had heard of her before. I don't know if I've ever seen her stand-up specials or anything. Okay, like so that. now that you've you've spent an hour with Paula, what do you think? Oh, she's great. She's super hilarious, and um, she actually remind. I know she was talking about hanging out with um, you know Robin Williams mm -hmm. and stuff at the time of his stand-up. Her, I, I mean, if her shows are like anything she was on Road Taken, I kind of get that vibe of her, kind of how Robin just can continually riff. It's just the mm -hmm. the funny is constantly there. Ex I was it's watching just, you. you. I saw you laughing through the whole thing, oh, which yeah. you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. She's she's just uh, and and yeah, you know, I didn't make that association, but I think you're right. She she does just riff off what's happening in life because she that's the other thing she's present she's really present she's not thinking about what her next line is she's in the moment and so therefore she can create that anyway and, um, she, and she's connecting i mean the fact that when she talked about connecting to those people you know the the, the woman talking about how it took her away from thinking about her husband mm. you know i mean she obviously values what she does and she she wants that connection and it's so great that she said that she might not have appreciated that when she first started or realized how much she'd come to appreciate that that comes with maturity i guess and um well for me one of my favorite shows that we've done this was i needed this laugh so bad these laughs so badly i feel so much better um thank you so much Louise, Justin, 
John. Appreciate it. We're going to see you next Tuesday on The Road Taken. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. <laughs>